Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Guys, take it away. And welcome aboard on this Saturday morning, the first Saturday of September, 9-2-17. This is Stan the Fan, along with Craig Heist and Bonza Tufa. We're in the cozy confines of the Press Box Studios, above our palatial offices okay. in Meadow Mill. All right. But, but it's warm in here, and uh, did you get on? No. You're still not no, on. All right. Not. Anyway, Craig Heist and I were at the baseball park last night until, what would you say, 12th? Oh, well, you probably were there closer to 115, 1.30. Uh, no, I was uh, there till about 12.30, quarter to 1. Okay, 12.30, quarter to 1. I thought I got out of there about 12.15. Anyway, we saw a heck of a ball game last night. Well, we saw great pitching on both sides, and uh, we saw great bullpen pitching on both sides, and... It uh, boiled down to – it really boiled down to trying to get a clutch hit somewhere along the line. And fortunately uh, for the Orioles, uh, Jonathan Scope wound up being the hero. And uh, that was after Manny Machado uh, reached base on an infield hit down the third base line. Ironically enough, that Josh Donaldson decided that he was going to try to backhand and it went into foul territory – and just the irony of the whole Manny Donaldson. Yeah, going uh, back a couple going of years. Back yep. a few, few years when Donaldson was with Oakland. and uh, But Manny reaches, gets on first base, and then Scope shoots one up the gap in right center field, which, give Manny credit, we get on him for his base running he a lot was, of times. He, he was, was all out yesterday. He was all out yesterday in motoring, and he knew. And a lot of it has to do because that plays right in front of him. He's going from first to second base. He can see the ball. He's ball's got the gonna, angle of the ball where it's going. Right. He can see the ball's going to split the gap, and uh, he he was on the way. And then Dickerson winds, winds up sending him, and uh, it really wasn't even close not to the plate. A, not close at all. Um, you know what was great about that ball game? You know, there there are nothing-nothing battles that can go seven, eight, nine, ten innings, and they're just not as exciting as that game last night. The defensive stops, I'll call them. You don't use that phrase too much in baseball. But Mancini's play. Scopes well, throw to home, home plate to, to grab Pilar. There wasn't a second of indecision, nor was there time for indecision. How about Pierce's play diving into the stands? Teoscar Hernandez's play, did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Very well done. Yeah, right. Very well and done. Mark Zuckerberg will be here. Exactly, <laughs> right. No. But you know, the, the the important part about Pierce's play was the tag yeah, by two by Manny to go to second base, where a base hit at that point is the difference in the game. No question about it. No question about it. Uh Orioles got a very good starting pitching again from Kevin Gosman. And I don't know if if I were the Orioles next year. I would set all his clocks and calendars and tell him it's July 1st on April 1st. (laughs) 
Yeah, that, you know, that's uh, pretty good because in his last seven starts or so, that ERA is about 2.3. And, uh, you know, Buck talked a little bit about it before, after the game last night. Just the fastball command seems to have returned. And where that was the first three months of the year, I have no idea. Uh, but uh, it's good to see him back on track. And now with this series split and the fact that the uh, – uh, what's the what? What's the weather in store for today? I hear very doubtful they're going to get this game in. It's not looking very good right. later on because uh, right. you have the remnants of the hurricane and, and the tropical depression coming up here this way. Uh, but you know, on a day or on a night where the Angels lose and and the and the Twins lose. And the Yankees uh, And the lose. Yankees lose. That turned out to be a very, very important win for the Orioles yep. because it got them back to within a game and a half of the wild card, uh, the final wild card position. They're two back in the loss column right now. So from that standpoint. There, uh, are, the, there are the current yeah, standings. So, so from that standpoint, it looks pretty decent. My high-tech scoreboard I can uh, tell standings. You, this, is, uh, this is what in the business we call graphics. Yes, yeah. Graphics. Unbelievable. Uh, the Orioles are, as Craig said, they are two and a half games behind the Yankees for the number one wild card spot right. in the American League, and we've got the Yankees coming to town. So when you've got the, the 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 guy you're really shooting for coming in, you can control your own destiny. You, on control, those your, you control your own destiny, but the other thing is there's two to play before that, and you're looking at Wade Miley in the first game, and you're looking at Chris Tillman in the second game here over the weekend. If you get the game in tonight, what happens? Obviously, it looks like there's a doubleheader tomorrow of some kind. Uh, you, you know, but that does set you up for the Yankee series Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and a chance to make some pretty big hay if you're the Orioles. Because remember, for as good as they are at home, they're not that great on the road, and they've got some pretty tough road to hoe because they're going to go to Cleveland. Yep, during that's that, a tough series. That's a tough series, and uh, you know. Of the contenders in this wild card, the Orioles have probably the toughest schedule of them going down the stretch. So it's going to be very interesting how well they pitch will uh, determine whether or not, you know, and they had to pitch well last night because there was no offense. Now on nights where they don't pitch well, Stan, there are a lot of times there's offense you can make up for the, the lack of pitching. Uh, but for the Orioles, it really behooves the starter to go at least five innings now that way you can turn it over to the bullpen. And boy, what a job they did last night. You know, it, it is really interesting. And I did a schedule the other day. I wrote out all the all the teams who everybody plays. But, you know, you make a good point. The Orioles have a tough schedule. But I'll tell you who else. The Yankees have a very tough schedule as well. Minnesota has perhaps the easiest they because do. they play the White Sox so many times the rest of the way. Whereas Seattle... Texas and L.A., mm -hmm. when you have three teams in the same division, somebody's going to lose each night. One of those three teams is going to lose practically every night. Yeah, and so so that's why, you know, sometimes it's not the amount of teams you have to jump over. Right, it's who it's, they're playing. It's who they're playing, but also it's imperative for you to get on a winning streak or, or like a streak of 10 out of 13 that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the Orioles' seven-game winning streak was wonderful. Yeah. And I was – kind of ticked the way they lost on Thursday night. But I said, look, nobody thought we were going to win the last 30 games in a row. It's what you do after the loss that matters. You get back up on your horse and win the next three or four in a row. You don't need seven, nine-game winning streaks. You need this, 
the longer skeins, S K E I N I E N, right? Whatever. Uh, whatever, Mr. Zuckerberg. Uh, but you, you need the, the 10s out of 13s, the 14 out of 19, or something like that. That's how you're going to win this thing. Absolutely. And uh, again, playing the kind of baseball they played last night, Stan, with the defense being what it was. And you know what? We can talk. There is no bottom of the 13th without Mancini's catch. That catch and, was and, and one I, of the and great I said catches. To him, of... And that ends the, the top of the 13th. And I said to him, uh, when Smoke hit that ball, well, well actually, Smoke wind, uh, winds up hitting a bullet out to him, right? Uh, which was a line drive right to him. But when uh, that ball was hit, over his head, he had absolutely no angle to the ball. And just to be that was Steve Pierce Steve that, hit, Pierce that, that, ball. that hit that ball with and, Donaldson on second base, right? And so, so it's probably one nothing at that point without yeah. any question. If Pierce doesn't make that catch, and then the Orioles are fighting an uphill battle in the bottom of the inning, well, they, but I get, said, they probably get Osuna, which is a very different animal to face than Aaron Loop. Absolutely. And uh, I asked uh, Mancini after the game last night. I said. What are you thinking? Because that ball is hit over your head. There's not a lot of retreat time for you. There is no And ang- you're right. There's no angle. There's no angle to the ball. I said, how confident were you? He said to me, he says, I thought I was 40 to 50% sure I was going to catch the ball. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> so He played it like he was 90% yeah, sure he was going mean, to catch the ball. It was fabulous. He got yeah. back on it. And was able to stick the glove That out. had a little bit of a football look to it. Like it re- a it really did. Well, you know what? Dove for it. I, and two things I took out of that post-game session last night. Was, I didn't talk to him. I wasn't around when he came. Well, two things I took out of that post-game session, one with him, which I just alluded to, but the other one was Buck, who said, I don't think I really expected him to, to make to, – to, No, to, to adapt to left field like he has and has worked as hard as he has yep. – to now, great. He's not a Gold Glove outfielder. No, but but to be able to adapt and to be able to make adjustments and learn on the fly at the major league level, working with the coaches. You know what I that's saw. A, that's a big out deal of him. for. You that's know a what big I deal s- for Mancini. You know what I saw in that play too. There's a tiny bit of uncertainty he still has in a, as an outfielder, and it's mostly on plays that are. When I say this, they're not the the play that's going to win the game. You know, if he makes the catch or lose during the third or fifth inning, this play he sort of there couldn't be uncertainty on how he played it because he knew the game was on the line, right? And he just was all out. He was know? all out, yeah. yeah. And and you know the other thing that he has done here, and I, I think you probably notice it as well, is at the plate he looks to be trying to find himself a little bit. You know, he's kind of fishing at times mm-hmm. now. Again, and I think pitchers are starting to make the adjustments to him. And that's just no knock on Mancini because he hit that guy out of the ball all year long. But as, as pitchers make the adjustment to him, he has to turn around and make the adjustment to the pitchers. And uh, at, at times, he looks a little out of whack at the plate. Uh, but and but that, that's not affected what he's been doing in the outfield. You know, um, it's almost like we talk about like a college basketball player who goes to the NBA, you know, they're used to playing 35 games. All of a sudden they're playing 81 games, Craig. Yeah. I got the sense about six weeks ago that Mancini went into that, that kind of dead period mentally and physically. And I thought he was kind of spent. 
I thought I said this guy's going to end up hitting about 270, and he went the other way. After about a month of struggling, he got red hot for about two and a half weeks, and he's maintained a, a pretty good clip now. That's a tough thing to do when your body's telling you the season's over and it's not over. You got a lot of baseball left to play. Right. And, uh, you know, when you stop to think about the first half of this season, say the first three months, how much this offense collectively struggled in, in terms of consistently scoring runs uh, because Machado was down and Davis was down and Trumbo was down. The only real consistent player you had was Jonathan Scope. And now all of a sudden, since the All-Star break, Manny's taken off. And Scope now is at 101 RBI, and he only trails the lead leader by two, I believe. And you added, you, in, you injected Tim Beckham you, into the you, mix. Right, exactly. And, and what that did was that kind of allowed Buck to drop everybody down. Beckham, they kind of, by default, found their leadoff hitter. Yep. And then they drop everybody down in the lineup a little bit that allowed Adam to go back to the, to the cleanup spot. And, and Chris Davis... Uh, originally in the seven hole, but him and Trumbo together, uh, alternating six and seven in the lineup. And let's not forget, let's not forget the two catchers between the two of them. Yeah, they've probably knocked in what about fifty-five, sixty runs between I, the I two of them. I would think that's about the number. And the play you, you alluded to the Jonathan Scope play last yeah, night. Joseph makes Joseph a brilliant makes, play. Makes a brilliant play. Uh, to keep Pilar away from the base or away from the plate, and I mean, I you know John Gibbons. He's sitting there saying, you know, challenge play, challenge play, and I get it. You want to take another look at it, but I mean that thing wasn't even close either. But, but, the, hand, but the fact that you know, you know what the <clears throat> dead giveaway was that he was out was that Pilar went back and tagged the, and tagged the, plate, tagged the right, plate because right. he knew he hadn't tagged it. Right. Um, we're talking baseball. It's the bat around. Stan the fan, Craig Heist, Bonzatufa. In the three hole today. Don't uh, forget if you're on Facebook, yes, make sure you share it. Check out the stream. Yep, share it. Well, uh, let me give all the particulars. If you want to simply listen, which is permissible on the web, you just go to pressboxonline.com/radio. And what we always ask people to do is go to facebook.com/pressboxsports to pick up our live stream feed. And please, when you get there, like it. And share it. Like it and share it. and Like since, it and share it. Since it's a, a, a medium that you are able to see the both of us, make sure you've already had breakfast. It's <laughs> a good point. That's right. a good point. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I was going to say that that's what the ladies usually say about Bonza. Uh-huh. Like it and share it. Right, exactly. Right. Look at him. Look at him. What a guy. What a guy. He's our guy. Um, he's, blush- he's blushing. He's blushing. He's right blushing. <laughs> yes, yes. He's blushing. You can see it. You can see it he's in his in. teeth. Right. Uh, here's what we've got on the show. Rich Dubrov's going to join us in about five, six minutes, uh, doing a bang up job in his first year as Oriole beat writer for PressBoxOnline.com and PressBox. Uh, 10:40. Uh, at the last minute yesterday, I hadn't heard back from somebody, so I picked up the phone and I called our friend Adam Pohl play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox who are making the playoffs uh, for the second time in three years, seventh in their history. We'll talk to him a little bit about who they might face off in uh, play in the playoffs, the Eastern League playoffs, and we'll talk about some players uh, that have bright futures uh, in the Oriole organization. At 11 o'clock, former Orioles 
uh, minor league pitching coach or pitching director Rick Peterson will be here. He's been a big league pitching coach with the Oakland A's, Milwaukee Brewers, and New York Mets. He's also a motivational speaker, and uh, we'll talk to Rick Peterson. And then at 11.30, Mark Zuckerman from Massinsports.com covers the Nationals, and we'll find out what a heartbreaking loss they had last night. He was traveling with the team, wasn't he? Yes, he was. All right, so he's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, they lost one nothing. Interesting that both Masson teams played one nothing games. The Orioles won, the Nats lost, but the losing team in both games had a starting pitcher that struck out 10 batters. That's right, and, uh, you know, Tanner Rourke, again, just pr- proving the – he is back. He's found it again, and this bodes well for the Nationals going down the stretch and into the postseason because this is a two-time 15-game winner who, you know, admittedly struggled in the first half and, and lost uh, his consistency, uh, but he's back uh, to throwing. He's got his breaking stuff working. Fastball command kind of sets up all of that. Uh, so Tanner is back in the fold. They just didn't score any runs last night off of Nelson, and, you know, Neil Walker hits the home run. That's the lone run in the game. It right. comes in the first inning on a breaking pitch. And that's the Jimmy Nelson that pitched against the Orioles back around the 4th of July. I believe it is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, good pitcher. Yeah, good well, pitcher. He, you know, he wound up uh, making life miserable for Washington last well, night. Well, I'll tell you what, though. One guy who makes life miserable for Washington opponents is Max Scherzer, and I guess Dusty Baker was breathing a big sigh of relief the other night from his big big arm. Oh, yeah, no question about it. And, again, another 10-strikeout performance. And uh, uh, it was one of those things where, you know, he coming off the neck issue – he wanted to make sure he was okay again, and now we'll see how the neck responds the rest of the way. He's supposed to make another start here in a couple of days, so we'll see. All right. All we talk about, you know, is uh, teams that are trying to make the playoffs, and we've we've discussed the American League. A fascinating uh, couple days where the Dodgers get back their ace last night, uh, Clayton Kershaw. I don't know how many innings he pitched last night, but he got the win. He's 16-2. and two and he hadn't pitched in about five or six weeks. Uh, He comes back and beats San Diego, not the hardest team to beat, but he beat what physical ailments he's had, Mm -hmm. and it looks like he's over those and well and good, which which, uh, speaks very well of the Dodgers' chance to win this whole thing. But I thought we haven't discussed it all yet, and we're getting Rich Dubroff in here. Let's bring Rich in. And, Rich, are you there, buddy? Yes, I am, Stan. Uh, I just wanted your calculation. Obviously, we always ask you to come on and talk Orioles with us, but your calculation on the Justin Verlander trade and how that may have changed the landscape for the Houston Astros. Well, it it doesn't change anything, obviously, for the regular season because they're yep. they're sailing their way to the uh, to the title. But you know, in the uh, you know in the postseason, uh, you know, adding another. <laughs> You know, another frontline pitcher. Uh, you know, it really, really helps for the uh, for the Astros. And, and uh, though he's never won a world, you know, then he's though he's never won a World Series. Uh, you know, having that big game experience is uh, is important. And I think that it really uh, it really makes the Astros, I think, the uh, the favorites in the in the American League. I I, I really like uh, you know I, I like the Indians. But uh, I, I really like the Astros. I think overall, the Astros and the Dodgers uh, all season long have seemed to be the uh, the class of baseball. Well, and they went out and you know 
solidified, uh, obviously, a, a need because of some of the injuries to that starting rotation. But uh, when you when you, I, I'm a little bit concerned from the Astro, Astros perspective from this for for this reason. You bring in Verlander. Dallas Keuchel is such a competitor and such a guy that wants the ball and he wants to be the guy. Well, how do, how does AJ Hinch now all of a sudden deal with that dynamic of you 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 have the five or six time All Star, uh, you know, a Cy Young Award winner, uh, a World Series guy, and all of a sudden he goes down well, there now. Well, but you but you can't have a guy like him talk out of both sides of his mouth. He was the most vocal team leader that yeah. said, "Hey, this no is, question this about This is it. what we did at the at the trade deadline the first time and, on and July third. I think he's going to welcome Justin Verlander with open arms, and Verlander is one, and he's 1A. Well, that's you, the way you, I see you, would, you would like to think that that's how he handles it and that's how he accepts it. Yep. Interesting. I've talked to some people that have that same concern going forward. All right. Interesting. Mr. Duboff, you share that concern if you're an Astros partisan? No, it sure sounds like a nice problem to have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, it is a great problem <laughs> a to have. It's different than Tillman and, and, and Miley so really battling it out for the I, I mean, what, does it matter who starts the first game or who right. starts the second game? Yeah, right. I mean, no, I mean, they need other pitchers, too. You know, they yeah. need other pitchers, too. Yeah. So I don't think that that's a... You know, this isn't you know this isn't basketball when you worry about well who's going to share the ball. They're starting pit. They're starting pitchers. They're going to pitch in, uh, you know, in, in not in the same game. If, if they're worried about who starts game one and who starts game two, well then they got big problems. And I don't think they have big problems. Uh, let me ask you this, and I know I'm asking for supposition from both of you uh, gentlemen. Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, does he make this move? I mean, it's taking on a lot of money. And yeah, they're responsible I mean, they're for responsible a good bit of the fifty-five. I mean, forty-five of the fifty-six million the next two years, mm-hmm. and I think all of what's left this year. So they took on fifty million in payroll. Rich, your your opinion, your your opinion. Does Jim Crane, well, the owner of the Astros, make this deal if the city of Houston isn't going through what it's going through right now? Yes, um, yes, because you know the Astros actually had a, for the moment, still have a pretty low payroll because all their stars are young and haven't, you know, reached uh, free agent uh, right. eligibility yet. You know, and, and some of them, uh, you know, and, and so their their payroll had been pretty much controlled. And so now they make this move and, and they don't go out and, and get a, uh, a big free agent pitcher after this season, not that there were a lot left. And, I, you know, and, and Verlander, is obviously on the down slope of his career, so uh, you know you're 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 taking the chance to win now when you can, and so I, I think that uh, you know I I think it was a base I think it was a baseball decision uh, because the Astros you know a lot of people said have needed another starting pitcher to uh, you know to go deep in the postseason. I think that's what it's for. All right. Uh, well, well said. Uh, we're talking baseball with uh, Rich Dubroff of PressBoxOnline.com and PressBox, the publication, the monthly publication. Rich, uh, the Orioles, let's get back to them for a minute. Uh, if, if they hadn't needed Castro last night, do you think there's a possibility he and not Chris Tillman might have started on Sunday? No. No. Okay. No. I mean, I, I don't think they want to mess with uh... – 
I don't know that they want to mess with Castro right right now because what's what it's working who, really well in the bullpen. Yeah, who replaces him? Yep. And it's, it's obvious he's needed in the bullpen. Next year is next year. Uh, you know, Chris Tillman's not likely to be here next year. They're going to have uh, openings in the starting rotation, and Miguel Castro is somebody who they, uh, you know, they're obviously very high on. He's given them, you know, a lot of big innings. So uh, I think that uh, don't. I think that you don't uh, you don't mess with that. Well, and the other part of it too is I, you know, everybody says. You know, if Chris Tillman and Baldo Jimenez make another start, there should be an investigation. Well, yeah, I get that point and everything, but, you know, the bottom line with those two, and especially Tillman in his case, is that a lot of this is still being done uh, to kind of protect Dylan Bundy and keep him on the extra rest, if you will. And we certainly have seen the last few times out the benefits of that for this ball club. Yes, and also Kevin Gosman. Yeah, well, yeah, Ted, that as well. Uh, so we're, you know they're protecting Bundy. You know they're they're protecting uh, Bundy and Gosman, uh, and then uh, and then he uh, uh, Gosman will. Uh, you know Gosman certainly done well in the second part of the year, and then uh, Bundy. Uh, you know Bundy obviously has done real well, and uh, I, I think that. I think that you know Tillman and and Jimenez with a uh, with, with additions in the bullpen. And, you know now that they have these extra pitchers and they're going to get some more, they will uh, 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 that will really help. That will really help them. Can you uh, explain? Because, you know, with with a, if you, you know with Tillman and Jimenez, lots of times he was trying to nurse them. You know, through five innings or so. Now, if they're you know if they're shaky after two or three. With more guys in the bullpen, he can play. Uh, you know, he can play that kind of game. Explain to us last night. Buck was alluding to this with the Gentry injury, and I'm not sure if you you heard the same thing I did. It sounded like the DL is a possibility, and that would allow them to actually bring up. Even though rosters are expanded, if you sent somebody to the minors like Alan Alec Asher uh, five days ago. Until he's down ten days, he can't come up even with rosters expanded. Correctly, correct. Correct. Yep. But Asher would have been uh, eligible to. I think. I think Asher is eligible today, nonetheless. Okay. And that, that Asher could come up. It's. It would be Donnie Hart or Donnie Mike Hart. Wright. Okay. Uh, especially Don. You know, especially Donnie Hart. So they could uh, disable Gentry and put him uh, on the ten-day disabled list. Because uh, they know he couldn't play for uh, you know for at least ten days and maybe longer, and then bring up a, a pitcher just like any other time during right. the season. Do we do we know for a fact that Gentry is hurt badly enough that I? So that's what I did not hear. Well, he broke his finger. He broke his finger. I thought I heard it was a laceration. It was. It was. That was but during the game, and then after the game, uh, okay. I Buck didn't. Walter okay. said that it was. A laceration and a fracture. Okay, so and you get so to sit in the front. You get to sit in the front row. If you're in row uh, two, you cannot hear Buck Showalter, even with hearing aids. Well, he said. He said. Uh, I'm just telling know, you what I couldn't hear. That's yeah. all. Yeah, but okay. he did say. Uh, he did say that he broke his finger and that uh, it's going to, you know, obviously going to be a while. So all right, uh, what that mean? You know, what that means if they'll have to go out and. Uh, and get another outfielder uh, from the uh, you know from the farm system. I don't know, 
there there was interesting for for the moment for the moment buck uh buck uh indicated that uh, another pitcher may be uh, coming. And d- an interesting dynamic to this game last night, too, occurs in the first inning when Adam Jones winds up saying something to the plate umpire after striking out, swinging, uh, and, and yet he, he winds up saying something in the dugout and the umpire took the mask off and probably he said the magic words, got tossed, Buck came out right after that. Uh, to me, if you're Adam Jones, you're frustrated. Yeah, I get it. And I think Tim Beckham was also frustrated yep. in an earlier at-bat or very early in the game. Uh, you can't get yourself thrown out of that game uh, at this time of the year with what's on the line for this club. No, you can't. I mean, it, it's uh, – you know, and also, I mean, I don't uh, – the home plate umpires are pretty inexperienced. Right, uh, they're relatively he's, inexperienced. He's got umpire. a terrible home play. He's got a terrible strike zone, really. But, uh, but uh, you know, yeah, hopefully you, uh, uh, you know, that stuff that stuff doesn't happen. But it's interesting that the Orioles weren't really weren't really harmed from that because of the forty man roster. Uh, you know, you don't ordinarily see three center fielders. In, in the game, but he put uh, Craig Gentry in the game, and then Gentry got hurt. That Joey Rickard. Yeah, but it was exacer- um, It was exacerbated by the fact that that's the cleanup spot yeah, that you exactly. ended up with right. two right. of your worst hitters in. But they, you know, they but they got you know they, they got, got the win. They got the win. And uh, but a game before, if that had happened uh, the night before, and Jones got thrown out, and Gentry broke his finger, then they're in real trouble because they don't have a natural. Then they don't have a natural uh, center fielder to go in, and then maybe you're looking at, you know, Ryan Flaherty uh, playing center. We're talking to Rich Dubroff for PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. You're listening to the Bat Around. Um, I don't know about you, Rich. I sit next to you at the games, but I love great defense. And last night's game was one of the best of the year, if not the best, for defensive stalwarts on both sides of the field. Well, it sure was. Uh, you know, looking at uh, you know, looking on the Orioles side, uh, you know, you know, I, I think we're kind of spoiled watching Manny Machado play every night, right? And watching all those great plays that, that he made, and then the throw that Jonathan Scope made, the throw uh, and the tag by Caleb Joseph at home, yep. And then the the then the terrific catch that Trey Mancini made uh, in the thirteenth inning. So. That was just some of that was just some of them, because uh, you know it's funny the game didn't didn't seem that compelling uh, early. You right. know, first six or seven innings it was good pitching, but you know there's some nice plays, but then it really picked up and uh, picked picked up in intensity. And the Orioles, de- you know, I think the Orioles defense has just been uh, has just been uh, pretty stout uh, lately. So. Hey, Rich, you get to see a lot of players come up from the minor leagues, a lot of young pitchers. We don't often get to see a guy come up in a – well, it wasn't that big a game for Toronto, but it was for the Orioles. This guy, Ramirez, for the mm-hmm. Blue Jays, had tossed – he's a converted infielder, Craig. This is the guy who tossed yeah. two innings late. Had 37 innings this year in the minor leagues, 37 two-thirds shutout innings had not allowed a run, comes up in the major leagues and looked awesome for two innings. Do you get to yeah, see many know, debuts I, like that? No, I mean, and then, you know, to see a guy, as you said, who didn't give up an earned run, 
give up, I think, four or other runs in the, you know, in, in the minors. But he really had, uh, he really, he really was impressive. And there, uh, and a new shortstop that the Blue Jays had, Richard Urena, looked uh, he looked excellent, looked good too when he came in the game. So, you know, a lot of people, including me, aren't necessarily a fan of the, the expanded rosters because it does distort the uh, the game that you're watching from uh, from April to August 31st. Yep. But you know that, that that's for di- that's for a different day. But you know, Buck Showalter has he's never had a losing September in his years as Orioles manager. And that's because he, he knows how to, uh, you know, manipulate that, uh, that, that, those, that, those added players on the roster. Interesting enough. Now today, <clears throat> pardon me. You wind up having Wade Miley today, Chris Tillman tomorrow, uh, two games that really are, you know, very big to the Orioles before and Stan and I were talking about this earlier, and all of a sudden, the Yankees have crept back. Uh, they hold the top spot, the wild card spot, but all of a sudden they're back to the pack a little bit. And then you have a chance to do some damage yourself against the team that uh, is ahead of you. These are very big games, uh, these next two, where the Orioles really have to pitch well and, and give themselves a chance to win these two games. Yankees, by right, the way, right have, to work. Yankees, excuse me for interrupting. Yankees have lost four of their last five games. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing is, the big picture is the Orioles, I, I think, you know, are going to have to win two out of every three games pretty much the rest of the season. Right. Uh, to assure themselves uh, to assure themselves a playoff spot. They're going to have to play, uh, you know, as well as they've been playing the last few weeks to, uh, you know, to, to, to get there. So, uh, you know, they're three games over, they're three games over 500. And I'm thinking that they need to be 10 games over 500 for them to, uh, for them to be thinking about uh, being in the, uh, being in the playoffs. And it would be interesting because I don't know if a team that has had as long a bad stretch as they did when they had a third of the season where they basically lost two out of every three games has made it to the postseason. Yeah. Interesting points. And, uh, again, they, they, uh, at least, though, the opportunity is ahead of them and in front of them, and they kind of, even though they're not in one of those two spots right now, they do somewhat control their own destiny in, in, in terms of being able to do just what you're talking about, Rich. Well, except Minnesota. You know, they're done with the, with the Angels and the Twins, and they lost. Both season series. Well, right, but you know, at this point, recently. at this point, they're tied with the Angels, and they're only a half game behind the Twins now. So, right, uh, but uh, they're half game or a game and a half. Game and a half. I'm sorry. Yes, game and a half. Uh, but uh, no, but with the uh, the point is, if they end up in a tie with the if they end up with a tie uh, in a tie with either the Angels or the Twins, and they have to have a one game playoff, uh, they would not have those at home, and I think that's you know, and I think that's big. Uh, you know, the Angels they lost four out of six games in in August, and the Twins they they were swept by the Twins uh, Early in May in at home, yep. right? And then uh, I think they split a split a two game series, uh, split a four game series in uh, uh, Minnesota just before the break. And I think those are uh, you know those those could be uh, very crucial losses for them. 
Well, before we let you go, Rich, the, the, uh, just these four teams. I'm going to do it on the fly in a in a minute on the bottom four in the America in the wild card. But the Yankees last eleven games, they're five and six. Minnesota's six and five. Angels are five and six. The Orioles are nine and two. Yeah. So they, well, that's what they that's what they needed. Yep. You know, right. they and didn't have. You know, they needed to win for, series, Rich. Right. <laughs> right, but for weeks, but for weeks we kept, you know, just saying that they were treading water. Yeah, you know, and, and that's stretching here and there, and they and they wouldn't didn't put on a streak. And now that they've put on a streak, they've put themselves in it. And that stretch of nine of eleven allowed them to do what a lot of people were saying is the hardest thing to do, and that's jump jump over right. several different teams at a at a point in time. And I and I said it's not so much that that you have to look at; it's just the fact that that will take care of itself. If you can put together a stretch of nine of eleven or or ten of thirteen, that kind of thing. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. All right, Rich, we always appreciate it. Uh, your prediction: Will there be a game today, tonight? I hope. I hope so because I would prefer seeing one game today rather a, than two tomorrow. As opposed to two tomorrow, yeah. kind of like Wimpy from my old Popeye cartoon. You'd rather see one game today well, now, than two tomorrow. Well, now let me ask you something. You, we 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 passed each other in the press box last night. And uh, you, in your uh, very witty way, if you will, uh, told me that you were going to be on this morning. And what, what kind of conversation did you say it was? Well, it was. I predicted it would be a penetrating interview. There and, you go. And thanks to, your, <laughs> thanks to your astute questions, it was. All right. And one last thing, Rich, before we let you go. Tell folks how they can get you the information and a picture of them in an Oriole, an ex-Oriole jersey tonight when they come out to the ballpark or any night. How can they get that to you to be Jersey of the night? Just tweet me at Rich Dubroff, D-U-B-R-O-F-F-M-L-B, and uh, we'll look and see. It's getting hard now because we've already used about, uh, we've already used, I think, 75 jerseys this year. Wow. And uh, and so the competition is, uh, the competition is keen, but if you have an unusual jersey, that uh, that you think might be uh, might be a fun one? Please tweet it to me. Especially a Dennis Martinez or a Ken Singleton. Numbers twenty nine and thirty. Those, those, those are guaranteed be, winners. Those are guaranteed winners. All right, he's Rich Dubroff. Craig Heist and I will be back with Adam Pole from the Bowie Bay Sox. We'll get right back to you after this. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. 
Here at Linex, we pride ourselves on protecting what matters most, which is why we're proud to partner with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital to support their mission of finding cures and saving children's lives. So during the month of September, we'll be making a donation to St. Jude for every bedliner sold in recognition of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. Visit linex.com slash give to St. Jude to learn more and get involved. Working as part of a team is strong. Working with a team of more than a million soldiers is Army Strong. Join the U.S. Army and train in one of more than 150 career fields that's more options than any other military branch. Visit your local Army recruiter or log on to GoArmy.com for more. There's Strong, and then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. Money for college. More than 150 career paths. Up to 40000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40K bonus. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we take a significant look into the Ravens' upcoming first ever trip to London. What does it take for an NFL team to make such a trip? How are Ravens fans getting themselves across the pond for the game? What are fans doing in Baltimore if they can't make the trip? And which Ravens player will the trip mean the most to? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles Ravens and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The B-17 airplane was a legend of World War II, and a B-17 is coming to Martin State Airport on Saturday, September 2nd, and Sunday, September 3rd, for you to see up close, and for a tax-deductible donation to the Liberty Foundation, you can even take a 30-minute ride on. Experience the sights and sounds that our second World War heroes experienced aboard the Flying Fortress on the weekend of September 2nd and 3rd at Martin State Airport, 701 Wilson Point Road in Middle River. Ground tours are available. For more or visit libertyfoundation.org and find out how you can take a ride on the mythical B-17. The Paracel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call one 877 617-8839. Call now. And we are back on the bat around Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. And uh, we remind you two ways to join in. And that's one by listening to us on our webpage, pressboxonline.com slash radio. Or if you are one of the brave at, brave at heart, and don't mind looking at the two of us on a Saturday morning. You can go to facebook.com slash pressboxsports and uh, watch us on the web. Uh, joining us right now is Adam Pohl, longtime play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. And I might add the playoff-bound Bowie Bay Sox. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you guys. Great to be with you today. Uh, how much excitement has been going on down there in this uh, second half of the season? Yeah, it's been a really fun season. Um, one of the neat things uh, over time, really, when you look at it, the Bay Sox are usually a team that is on the older side. The average Eastern League player is every year around between 24 and 25 years old. And the Bay Sox uh, quite often uh, average to the age around 25 or 26. But this year, the Bay Sox have one of the younger teams in the Eastern League. 
And I think that's going to be exciting for Orioles fans because uh, you know, here Bowie is not just winning, but doing it with a lot of guys that are 22 and 23 years old. I'm not used to looking at a Bowie roster or any uh, Orioles minor league uh, uh, affiliate of late and seeing a pitcher with a 14-3 and winning uh, record. Uh, Jeffrey Ramirez. Tell us a little bit about young Mr. Ramirez. Yeah, well, first of all, his, his name, I guess, is pronounced uh, not Jeffrey, but Jeffrey, like, like Zsa Zsa Gabor. Oh, know, Jeff, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, okay. So, so he is uh, not an overpowering pitcher. Uh, obviously, the Yankees would not have given uh, him to the Orioles for, for uh, international bonus slots as he was throwing you know, 97, 98 miles an hour. So he's a right-hander. Uh, you know, he, he's uh, he's just a guy that everything moves. One of those guys, he throws a high percentage of off-speed pitches. So uh, in the games I've seen him throw, by far his favorite pitch is changeup. He, he loves using his changeup. He throws a changeup and a slider at almost the exact same speed. Sometimes it's hard to tell uh, which one is which because his changeup has a lot of fade to it. Uh, but in the same regard, he is a fly ball pitcher. Uh, if you look at uh, when he is hurt this year, it is via the home run. And uh, but I mean, he's been four and zero for the base on five starts since coming over after the trade. So so he'll be an interesting guy to watch here in the uh, next year or two to come. Uh, with Mr. Mountcastle, how's he uh, progressing, and uh, what are you seeing out of him? Well, yeah, you know, Mountcastle has, he's had some flashes, obviously. Um, he's hitting around 200 in about 20 or so games of the Bay Sox. At third base, uh, he's actually pretty good with the gloves. Uh, he doesn't have great range. Um, what everyone talks about defensively with Mountcastle is that his arm, it's, it's, you know, he does not have a great arm by any means. But, uh, but it's not uh, where, where he's a very clumsy fielder. He's, He's pretty good with the glove uh, overall in that regard. And so, so he's actually been uh, pretty decent at third base defensively. And then uh, offensively, I think he's a little frustrated probably as how things have gone. Uh, even though he's hitting right around 200, about half his hits have been extra base hits. So he's been a double machine uh, throughout this year in baseball uh, in between Frederick and Bowie. And if you look at his numbers in total, they're outstanding. So it's hard to be 20 years old in the Eastern League. And Mountcastle is only the sixth player to do that in the Orioles organization this decade. And the other position players uh, that reached uh, Bowie at the age of 20 were Machado, Scope, and uh, and Chance Sisko. So so it's it's pretty exciting uh, what what he could be. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the East next year. I just wanted to ask you a question. I do want to spend a few minutes of our time talking about the playoffs and how people can get tickets and when the games sure. will be. But I do want to talk about a couple of these players, especially the outfielders. Uh, Craig Gentry got hurt last night. He's going on the DL mm-hmm. for 10 days, it looks like, minimally. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a name that I wouldn't have thought two months ago that I would utter. I'm looking at Mike Yastrzemski. Has hit sure. since since being dropped from Norfolk down to Double A. Has hit three eighty six with a four thirty six on base percentage. If you needed a fourth or fifth outfielder, uh, tell me about him. Could he play center field in an emergency? Oh, definitely, definitely. He, he's he's a very similar player in that Gentry or Julie Rickard type of mold. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. He, he can be a spark plug. 
type of player. I've always thought that Zdrzemski, uh, the, the biggest problem with him was that he, he just didn't hit the ball the other way enough. Right. That he was too pull heavy for the kind of player that he was. Um, and he was a guy that in 2014 had an incredible year. Uh, as far as extra base hits, he, he raced through Delmarva and Frederick and all the way to Bowie that season, and uh, and then was a, a part of the Bay Sox 2015 champion team that had Trey Mancini and Michael Gibbons and such on it. So, um, so he, he's a player that that um, that when we saw him this year, his game had had stepped up to another level. When he came down to Bowie, he came down for two weeks in the middle of the season. And he was dominant. He was too, too much to the level. I believe he's 26 years old this year, and really gave the big Sox quite a lift in that time. So it's definitely a possibility, and he's he's always been on the rails right off. When you look at uh, going back to what Stan was asking about Yastrzemski, the first thing that I look at is 19 homers, 58, or, or, or rather uh, six homers. 19 RBI. Now that's just at Bowie. Yeah, those numbers would be just at. Yeah, Bowie. that was, but that was in three weeks. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So from that standpoint, uh, in terms of progression, uh, I like Stan's thought about that. Just you know, with, well, with the Gentry going down, the, the age, pedigree, the, the age, age you and. Know. I mean, you would think with the age being what it is, something kind of has to maybe get jump started a little bit there. Yeah, Craig, and the other thing is just the fit, you know, because uh, when you have a, a prospect that's ready to become an everyday ball player like a guy like Manstein, sometimes they're not a great fit for what you need on the roster, but they've got to go. You know, I mean, it's their time. They, they've proved everything they can. Right. A guy like Yastrzemski is not that level of prospect, but he's the kind of player like a Donnie Hart was last year when people were calling me out of the blue like, who is this guy, Donnie Hart? <laughs> but he was just a lefty that got lefties out. And, and, and he filled a great role for the Orioles. So maybe Yastrzemski could do that uh, similarly, because obviously he's a very similar player in nature to what Gentry was. So, so it really is a possibility. Yeah, there's, there's times where guys that you would not have, have expected or you're looking at them in the minor league level, you wouldn't expect to be you know, the, 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 the big deal with the big club. All of a sudden, they can serve... In, in a, yeah, I mean, in a look, role of look, some if kind. we're talking about long term, obviously Austin Hayes and and uh, DJ Stewart are much more significant prospects. Right, right, exactly. But for a guy to plug in and play a little bit, not make a base running mistake, maybe get a tougher at bat at the big leagues where the weight of the world's not on his shoulders, I think Mike Yastrzemski might make. I know Dan Duquette. Probably will think like that yeah, because of his yeah, fondness for Carlos Strempsky. And I know, like for instance, the Orioles uh, paid a lot of attention to a player that we have that that most Orioles fans have not heard of until this week when he was named to the Arizona Fall League, named Stevie Wilkerson. Uh, but Wilkerson has a very similar uh, skill set to a guy like Ryan Flaherty. So when Flaherty went out, you know right. they were looking to fill that role, and Wilkerson was somebody that they considered. Uh, even coming up from Bowie. So it's interesting. Sometimes it, it takes a guy to get hurt to maybe give you that opportunity as a player uh, to just kind of fit, fit that role on the club. We're talking with Adam Pohl, the play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. I've got players I want to ask you about, but we got to get some playoff information in uh, because that's why I had you on, really. There's a potential for six home games 
Uh, people can go to the Bay Sox website at baysoxshop.com, uh, or they can call in at 301-464-4865. Is that correct, how to get tickets? Yeah, that is correct. Now, what's a little confusing is that you can't get tickets right now for an individual game. Okay. Uh, that would be, Bay Sox Shop would be to get tickets for uh, all six possible playoff games. And then uh, your, if we don't play all six, then you would, that would, then your credit would go towards tickets for next year. And then, uh, and but, those uh, prices, the, the prices, Adam, are roughly like $66 for one strip for six potential games, correct? Correct, okay. correct. So, but it'll be very soon. We're talking in the next two days uh, when we will know when we are playing. So, so basically, uh, the season is just ended the minor leagues, the minor leagues on Monday, on Labor Day. And uh, incredibly, the Bay Sox are already in, but we don't know if we're going to come in first or second. So if we come in second place, which is where we stand right now, we're going to play the Pittsburgh Pirates affiliate Altoona in the first round of the best of five series. And it's basically the semifinals. And uh, we will play Altoona, and when we play them, if we are in second place, we'll actually play games one and two at home, which would be Wednesday and Thursday. But if we come in first place, we would actually play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at home, which would be games three, four, and five. And then in the finals, we know if we make the finals, we would have home, uh, home field advantage because they switch uh, the divisions which have each year. So we would have the following week, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at home, games three, four, and five in the championship series. Stan's sitting here trying to prove to me that he can count. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do uh, have a question in terms of development of players to each different level. And, and, I, and I say that because, you know, Stan's mentioning Austin Hayes. You've mentioned Austin Hayes as, as, as viable guys that the Orioles certainly have high hopes for. And I'm looking at some of Nehaze's numbers, for example, and, I, and I'm comparing them to Preston Palmero down in Delmarva, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and that's low A, obviously. So I'm thinking about, you know, Preston with about 13 or 14 home runs, and he's driven in about 70 runs on the year, but he's also hitting about 255 right in that area. How does that kind of season as an everyday first baseman project out if you're if – you're, uh, trying to promote somebody and de- determining whether he goes from Delmarva uh, to to Aber. I mean, I'm sorry, from Delmarva to Frederick, Frederick, or or does he make a jump to Bowie? Usually, yeah, they would just go from uh, along the line from Delmarva to Frederick. Okay, then Frederick and move up. So much the minor leagues, uh, which is funny because a lot of other sports don't look at it this way, uh, but but everything is about your age. So if you are doing very well at an appropriate age uh, for that league, so Delmarva's average age ball player is between 21 and 22 years old. So Palmero's a little bit old for that league, yeah. and he's probably a league average hitter. Uh, so, so therefore, uh, he's an average minor league player for the South Atlantic League as far as offensively is considered. While a player like Austin Hayes, He's 20, 22, 23 years old, so he is young for the Eastern League. He's a year or two younger than the average player, and he is, you know, putting up numbers that are that are basically like the best, one of the best few players in this entire league. 
So, and that's the other thing is that once you move up, uh, the minor leagues really, or double A is that main proving ground. Yep, right. So the Orioles really, their philosophy is to try to get players ready for double A. And if they're ready for double A, then that's your real chance to prove that you can be a major league ball player. So, um, so for instance, uh, Mount Castle, who you talked to me about earlier, Oh my goodness! He's only hitting two hundred. Uh, his bat is his main tool. He's twenty years old, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the reality of it is that he could be a dominant player in this league in two years and still be two years under the league's average age. I want to and, ask and you. That, that's the main thing to look for. I want to ask you. We got about a minute, so I need a thirty-second mm-hmm. answer on both players. Tell me about DJ Stewart. What he did this year to now move up a step as a prospect or move back to where he should have been all along, and then Cedric Mullins, who faded uh, pretty badly the second half of the year. Boy, Stewart's an exciting exciting story. The big, the big thing with DJ is that he completely changed his stance, and I, I just think that it's taken time. But he's obviously a very hard worker, and therefore he's, he's, gotten, he's gotten better and better, and he's really improved as a hitter this second half of the year in that uh, he's taking a lot more pitches like he used to. He's getting better pitches to hit, so therefore not only is he hitting for a higher average, he's also walking a lot more, and he had close to a 400 on base percentage. 379 on on base percentage. Mullins had a great first half, injury prone a little the first half, and injury prone the second half, but he faded, didn't he? Yeah, he's had a tough uh, last month here, so we're hoping to see him get it clicking again. He's got a very simple swing, I've been told, so there's a feeling like he could get it locked in. Uh, he's hitting for, for power right now, but but uh, but not for average. Uh, here, I'm just talking in the last four weeks. Uh, but the main thing that the Orioles are happy with is that he's, he's maintained and stayed healthy during the last six to eight weeks of the season. All right. BaySoxShop.com. You can buy your seat, your full uh, uh, slew of tickets there, a strip of tickets for the six potential home playoff games. BaySoxShop.com. Or you can call up on Monday at 301-464-4865. Adam, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Adam Pohl, the longtime play-by-play voice. The long, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. Uh, we're going to be joined by Rick Peterson in just a moment, Craig Heist. Great motivational guy. Great. I mean, Rick's been around for a long, long time, and uh, certainly within the Oriole organization. But uh, uh, what, what a way to get – players to kind of buy in and believe in what they're doing. Rick Peterson uh, does a real nice job with that. There's no question about it. And uh, the <laughs> testing, one, two, three, testing, one, two, three. This is Rick, this Rick. piece of equipment is without a doubt one of the worst pieces of equipment I've ever seen. The reason I ask Adam about uh, the, the Preston Palmero thing, I was just kind of comparing numbers and uh, to different levels. And what he said about the age is, is a striking thing for me because, you know, keep in mind, Preston probably, uh, you know, loses a few years at the minor league level because of playing down at NC State for a couple of years. So, but that probably served him well to be able to get to where he is right now. So, 
it's going to be interesting to see what kind of progression he makes and just how far up the ladder he goes. All right. Uh, we're going to, as we say, be joined in, in just a moment by Rick Peterson. Interested to talk to Rick, who wrote that book we had Rick on last year, Crunch Time, about you know the mental aspects of the game and how those can defeat your purposes. Uh, and interested in talking to him about somebody like a Justin Verlander and what his presence alone can mean to a team like the Houston Astros, who are young and up and coming. I would say it's very similar to what Max Scherzer means to a team. Uh, and, of course, those two are former teammates. Uh, and, I, and I would say it's very similar. Both pitch with the bulldog mentality, uh, the guy that wants the ball, the guy that wants to be the guy in, in a certain situation. Uh, so I, I compare Verlander very, very favorably to Max Scherzer, especially with what I've seen. We knew about Scherzer from his days in the American League, but since he's been with Washington, it's really hard for me to come up with a pitcher that is is more intense and, and just wants it more than Max Scherzer does. We're talking uh, baseball on the bat around. Stan the fan <laughs> along with Craig Heist. We're joined now by Rick Peterson, longtime Major League pitching coach. Uh, with the Oakland A's, Milwaukee Brewers, New York Mets, for a good while, Orioles minor league in, uh, pitching instructor, sort of organizational instructor. He's now also a motivational speaker. He joins us now, and an author who wrote uh, Crunch Time. Uh, tell us a little bit about Crunch Time once again, Rick Peterson. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Great. Yeah, cr- cr- Crunch Time is all about reframing pressure and shifting it from a threat to an opportunity. And there's a lot of it's business to sports, sports to business, and it's about really dealing effectively with performing your best under pressure. When you have somebody like we're just talking about, a Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander, there's no question that they have that ability to 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 reframe things mentally. It's very clear, uh, and maybe they're great enough. They're not even reframing. They're just in in a in a sort of special spot. But what can those kind of guys, having them on the mound, Rick, and I know you're, a lot of your talk is about the individual reframing, but what about the presence of a Justin Verlander now on a young team like the Houston Astros? How can that help the team almost reframe itself? Well, n- number one, when you make a trade in the, cor- in the course of a season and you're in a pennant race, and they're not even in a pennant race. They're in the playoffs getting ready for the playoffs. Right. They've, already won, they've already won their division, basically, um, unless something like catastrophic happens, which you know, is unforeseen. But when you, when you add someone like a Verlander into your, onto your team, it is, uh, I can't even tell you the adrenaline what it does, not only for the team, but for the fan base. I mean, and again, the fan base there is being devastated from, from Harvey. You know, obviously their focus is not on baseball, nor should it be. Um, but but it, just, it, it, it just brings in this energy, this, inv- this invincibility that you feel like, you know what, hey, we're, we're, you know, you, you start getting that, you know, that swagger, if you will. And when you have an, a legit number one starter, and I've had the, you know, pleasure and great fortune as a major league pitching coach to have several over the years. It, it, it's it's like you come to the park and it's like, oh, Verlander today. All right, here we go, man. I mean, right. like you, you leave the ballpark the night before, and you know, like we got our ace tomorrow, and you walk in there with this incredible swagger. But here's 
here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people really understand how there's this, what do I say? It's almost like compounded interest when you have top of the rotation guys, you know, so, so, so you're talking about, you know, Keiko right now, former Cy Young award winner, you know, you had Verlander to that staff. So, so let's say, for example, the first game of, of a series, Verlander starts that game. Well, you got a lot of hitters on the, on the, on the other team. They're leaving that night. They're not feeling so good <laughs> about themselves. Right. You know, they just got beat up a little bit by, you know, by Verlander. And then now you come back the next day, now you got Keiko. Now you got guys leaving that ballpark on the other team that are like one for eight, maybe one for nine, oh for nine, you know, possibly, you know, in, in the in the, la- in the last two games. You know, so they're, they're coming into the third game of the series, and even though maybe it's McHugh or whoever you have starting your third game, you know, but, you know, you, you have hitters already feeling bad about themselves for two days. You know, they're trying to figure out, like, how do I hit this guy? And, and how can I, you know, get my swing groove back again? And sometimes, even though you're facing a lesser pitcher, but the fact that you were one for eight or one for nine or zero for nine or you know whatever, and you're and you're and you're not taking good swings, you know that that really affects you. Um, but you know, like for example, in New York, we had Pedro Martinez, and I used to call it St. Pedro Day. <laughs> you know, it's like every five days you got St. Pedro Day. Do you do you kind of get the feeling though that when you talk about guys, and I brought Stan, I told Stan, I said, since he's been with the Nationals. Max Scherzer, to me, is probably the best pitcher I've seen at channeling what you're talking about in terms of just taking it to the mound with him. With, po- with great with, positivity. With positivity and knowing that he's at least going to go six to seven innings almost every time he takes the ball. Well, there's no, there's no question about it. I mean, there's, I mean, he knows how good he is without question, and he knows – you know, the, the beauty about pitching is that, you know, you have a game plan against each individual hitter and against that in, in particular lineup where you know, like, you know, for example, okay, there, there's no way that this guy's going to get a pitch to beat me, you know, in tomorrow, like you're, let's say you're facing the Marlins, for example, the Nationals in, inside their division. You know, you, you know, you know darn well that, that Stan is not going to get a pitch that he can beat me. It's not happening. Right. You know, when, when, you're, when you're a guy like a Scherzer, you know, so they know how to manage you know, manage their way and navigate their way through that lineup at least three times. And and they know where their stuff is. They know what they have going. They have that experience. You know, they have that backbone. It, it's, it, there's just nothing like dominant starting pitching. And, 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 I, and I think in all of team sports, you know, the pitcher is probably the most dominating force in all of team sports. And that to me is... That, to me, is the difference mm-hmm. between Scherzer, maybe, and Steven Strasburg in the sense that everybody knows what kind of a talent Steven Strasburg has or is, and he has proven that many, many times on the mound. But the difference is you maybe get to the second or third inning and all of a sudden you're pitching in 90-degree weather down in Miami where the humidity is close to 100% and he's dehydrating and, and he has to come out of the game. We've seen that a couple of different times. And, I, you know, sometimes I think that might be the difference. Well, there's, you just hit a, a great point. I mean, he's, he, has, he has a lot of vulnerabilities. Yeah. And, and, and he has a lot of aches and pains. He's got a lot of nagging aches and pains. His forearm is still bothering a little bit. Um, he's still, you know, he, he's still, in my opinion, mechanically, he's still not totally sound. And, and that's why his forearm's bothering him again. You know, he's still late at foot contact. 
you know, consistently, and, and that's going to beat up his forearm. You know, and, and you bring it. The, the point being is that he's a, he's a great talent, but nobody talks about Scherzer's talent. They talk about his performance. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's a, right. That, that's, that's a whole, the big that, difference. That's a whole yeah. different. Yeah, it's a whole different mentality. And and when you again, what it does to the team when you have that personality, there there's this um, invincibility that, that you start to create. I didn't realize this until I was actually doing our book Crunch Time. And, and doing some research on some things that, that I actually experienced, but, you know, didn't really, you know, when you experience it, you just experience it. I didn't go back and really, you know, so to speak, you know, evaluate it granularly. I didn't realize, I don't know if you remember, but MLB Network, going back a few years ago, they did this whole Prime 9 series for a couple of years, and it was the Prime 9, the nine best, like say, right fielders, the nine best catches in the playoff, the nine best, you know, they did a whole series of nine best. Well, they did a nine best of the greatest starting rotations in the history of the game. The, the Moneyball pitching staff in 2002 was rated was rated number nine, the nine best pitching staff in the game. And who was and on, that? on that? Zito, that Zito Mulder, Hudson. Zito Mulder, Hudson, and Corey Lytle, who we got in the right. trade. Yeah. I believe yeah. who, I, I believe Corey won 13 or 14 games that year, and had 42, 42 consecutive scoreless innings in, in August. When we won our twenty consecutive games, and and, and you know, I, I, you realize how good they were when you when you were there. But when you pull yourself away from it and look back on it and realize how good they really were, I mean, it, it really amazing. And when you have that kind of starting staff, I mean, you're you're you, basically in the course of a season, you're covering fourteen hundred and fifty innings plus or minus for for your entire staff for, in the course of a season. You know, so when you're covering 1,450 innings, you know, basically, if you can cover 900 with your starters, you know, which means that you got you got three guys on that staff that that gave you 600 innings, right? And then and then basically you have two other guys that gave you 150 innings. So that there's you know that's that's 900 innings. But if you're covering 900 plus innings with your starting staff, you're, you're talking about some dominating pitching, and you know, so again. Adding Verlander at this time right now, this is exactly what Houston needed, exactly what they needed, because they they were having a vulnerability, and especially with the injuries in their starting staff. And, and, and Keuchel with, with his, I believe, neck injury, you know, that's been reoccurring. Yep. And and those those kind of things, you just don't know when you're going to wake up and it's like, man, my neck is really jammed up right, right. now. And, and, you know, so to have a guy like Verlander, and, and I think it's also good for Verlander because when you've pitched at the level that he's pitched over his career, and I saw an interview um, of his last start, I believe it was afterwards, and they were, you know, they were asking him, you know, what's it like? You know, you're talking about being traded. You might not be traded, and he he didn't say it because he's got class, you know, and, and the obvious of, you know, does he really want to get out of Detroit? No, not really. I mean, he loves Detroit. I mean, he, I mean, he's he's been there for, you know, over a decade. Um, but when you talk about going to a winner again, and now, and he said, I took this mentality yesterday as a playoff game, and because I knew the stakes were high, I knew it, my my name was being talked about in the trade, and, and I went out there with a whole different mentality. So again, what we're talking about is the mental game. So our whole conversation is yep. about the mental game, which is what crunch time is about, literally. 
you know, so when it's crunch time, you want a Scherzer and you want a, Ver- a Verlander, the, you know, taking the ball for you. The book is Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. Uh, Rick Peterson, former Major League pitching coach, is with us. Rick, you've had uh, a couple of the guys, and I intentionally, you and I have become friends, but I don't have you come on and talk about the Orioles just because you were once with the Orioles, but you did have two of their best pitching prospects in over a decade in Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman. Both of them have seemed to really thrive in this second half of the season once they kind of figured out that they needed more time between their starts. Uh, is that an accurate way to say that? Um, you know what, I haven't followed it microscopically, so it's hard for me to say that. You know, I've kind of followed it from a 36,000 view, right. uh, 36,000 feet view. But, but just, just watching those two kids, you know, really start to settle in and become the pitcher that literally performing up to their, up to their physical talent capabilities. And it's really fun to watch them do this. And especially, you know, jumping right back into pennant race now. I mean, and again, I think when you see in the course of a season, when you're, when you're kind of like in that middle ground, you're one week away from being out of it, yep. you're one week away from being right back in it, and and you're one week away from being in about the same place you've been. And I think what you're seeing, you know, this year in particular, you know, kind of getting sidetracked from from Dylan and, and Kevin, that you're seeing a lot of winning streaks and losing streaks on both ends. You know, and I think the reason why is because so many offenses are reliant on the homer, on the home run that it, it's hard to keep hitting homers every single day. You know, so when you get a homer drought, you know, you go into these five, six, seven, eight, 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 out, of nine, eight out of nine game losing streaks. And then when you get hot and you start hitting a ton of homers, like I think the Orioles hit like 57 homers in August, I mean, you're, you're going to start, you're going to win. I mean, it's just that simple because you're hitting a ton of homers. <laughs> but I think to see that, to see that they've, you know, last night, what, what Kevin, had six shutout Six shutout innings, yep. Right, right. And, and you're starting to see them, you know, you're starting to see them believe, like, you know what, I'm good. And, 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 and what it comes down to, they start to understand, if I can execute my pitches simply one pitch at a time, each hitter's a separate game, win that game, send him back to the dugout, and if I execute my pitches, I'll pitch well. And because what happens is when you have young pitchers with that kind of dominant stuff, and everybody keeps talking about their stuff, well, you have to have decent stuff to pitch good in the big leagues. No one talks about cranky stuff, right? Right. You don't hear they just talk about, about performance, right. They talk about how well he pitches, how well he executes a pitch, and that's why they call it, that's why they call it an art. They don't, they don't call it, it's, it's an art. Pitching is an art. And what happens when you have young, dominant, stuff, young pitchers, they start, everybody talks about their stuff, and they think like, hey, I'm really good because I have good stuff. No, not, no. You, that's why we signed you for a lot of money, because you have good stuff. That's not why you're good in the big leagues. Because if you can't execute pitches, I don't care what kind of stuff you have. Chapman's a great example. Yeah. There's nothing the matter with Chapman's stuff. He's throwing 103, 103 miles an hour, and they're turning on it, hitting homers. You know, so it's not about your stuff. It's about your ability to locate pitches. And what you're seeing them do now, you're seeing them locate you're seeing them locate pitches, you know, and when they show hitters hot zones, you don't see hot zones on pitches that are down and away, right. or the, or pitches that are below the strike zone. You know, you see hot zones on pitches that are out over the middle of the plate, 
And and that's what they've been able to do. They've been able to settle in. They have the confidence now to know that, hey, I can execute my pitches, and when I do execute, I'm really good. And a case in point with Gosman the other day is the fact that, you know, his split was so good and mm-hmm. just diving out of the place that, you know, you see him sometimes you throw that split and it doesn't have the bite on it that right. like he had just a couple of days ago. How much of that is a mental thing in terms of being able to repeat that and, as you say, uh, you know, execute that pitch? Well, it, it's, it's mental in the, in the fact that you have confidence enough that you know that you're going to throw it and you're going to throw it below the strike zone. The problem with, the problem with that pitch, that it can be with that pitch, especially because Kevin's split does not have fastball spin. It has it has a split spin, like right? Tanaka. Tanaka has a has a split spin. It doesn't have fastball spin. So hitters recognize spin when it comes out of your hand. So the 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 off speed change up spread split type pitches fingers or split finger type pitches that have fastball spin, they're more effective because the hitters reading fastball spin. <clears throat> the danger with the split that has has like a bad knuckleball spin is the fact that that if, if you're going to throw this out of the strike zone, you're not throwing it for a called strike. You're throwing it because you think the center is going to swing and you're going to throw it below the strike zone. The problem is when you start to recognize that spin early and you say, listen, when I see this spin, I'm not swinging at it. It's a ball. Right. It, and that's, right. that's why when you, see, when you see Tanaka struggle, Tanaka struggles because Tanaka can't beat you in the strike zone. He beats you out of the strike zone. So if you if you're like you look at Judge, why is Judge struggling so badly right now? He does, he's not swinging at strikes. He's swinging at breaking balls. He's springing at breaking balls like Kevin split the other night. It's below the strike zone. It's out of the zone, and he's swinging at fastballs that are up out of the zone. If you swing at balls, I mean, to oversimplify the game, pitchers need to throw strikes, and batters need to swing at strikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, a cool if way. You really, to... If you really if you really want to simplify it, and if the batter lays off pitches that are balls. You know, the, the good news with Kevin, Kevin's got good enough stuff to beat you when it strikes him. Um, you know, so, I mean, he's got the kind of fastball that when he locates his fastball, everything works off a located fastball, without question. How impressive is it, uh, just sticking with Gosman for one more minute, and then I do want to talk a little bit about your motivational speaking uh, before we let you go today. He's, he's, gone, he's made 29 starts and thrown 157 two-thirds innings. I mean, this is a joke compared to the days when Palmer or Seaver used to go 300 innings. But h- how come he, despite the fact he hasn't executed his pitches perfectly all year, how come he doesn't get hurt? He is durable. Well, he's got a solid delivery. I mean, I mean, when we, you know, the first year that Kevin signed, we did a biomechanical analysis of Kevin, and then we did a follow-up analysis the following year, and his his delivery continually got more, continually got cleaner. Mm-hmm. He's got a, he's got a solid delivery. Um, his the movement patterns in his delivery. He's got he's got good rhythm. He's on time. Yes, for example, like when you're watching a game, let's say you have a right-hand pitcher and you have a right-hand hitter, and the intent for the pitcher, let's say, is to throw a fastball down and away at the bottom of the strike zone on the outside corner, and that pitch ends up being on the inside corner or or even in off the plate, and it and it and it's up like above the belt level. That that pitcher's late at foot contact. 
So when you see that, that means that their timing is way off. And, and you see that quite often with pitchers that struggle. You know, when you watch Chris Tillman, you know, Tilly tries to throw a lot of pitches that are down and away to right-handers or in on lefties, and they're on the other side of the plate, you know, because he, he, he's late at foot contact. You know, so Kevin, you know, Kevin has a sound delivery, and he repeats it consistently. Well, since the All-Star break, his ERA is 3.12. Uh, after the ERA after that Cubs debacle, right. that, you know, is 2.05. Right. And you take away two starts against the Angels, and it's .75. Yeah. So uh, the, the consistency for Kevin Gosman is coming back here in the last yeah. month and a half, the kind of consistency we'd like to see him put together throughout an entire season. And, again, you know, the, the great mystery is we'll have to wait until next year to find out whether or not that can happen. What, what, one last qu- Gosman question, and then we'll get we, – I promise we're going to talk a little bit about motivational <laughs> speaking. But, seriously, this is two straight years where from April 1st to July 1st, he's been pretty awful. And then from July 1st to October 1st, is it as simple as next year? Should they hang up the calendar and tell them it's July 1st on August on April 1st? <laughs> well, I, I think what it comes down to is that, you know, Kevin needs to – what happens so often when pitchers go through well, – anybody for this matter, it doesn't matter what performance level, but let's talk you're talking about pitching. When they go through a rough time, everybody's trying to figure out, what, what am I doing wrong? The key, the key with evaluating performance when you do have performance levels and consistency like Kevin is having now and like he had in the second half of last season is to really pinpoint, what am I doing now that's allowing me to be successful? Right. Right. What, am I doing in these, what am I doing in these five-day, six-day routines? And, and start to really – I remember asking Tom Glavin, as Tom, you know, Tom was in you – know, at that point he had 290-plus wins. He's approaching 300 wins. And, and very often I would, I would open up the press guide and I would look at, you know, Tom's section of the press guide and I would just shake my head going, Jesus, look at these years, one after the next, after the next, after the next. <laughs> and you would shake your head. And I remember one day, and actually this comment is actually in our book, I remember one day after walking out of the coach's room, after looking at the press guide, right when I walked into the locker room, Tommy was sitting in one of the, you know, lounge chairs, uh, drinking a cup of coffee, you know, watching the SPN. And I stopped, and I was standing right in front of him, and I just smiled and shook my head. I said, like, 18-plus? You're closing on 19 years doing the same thing every five days? I said, don't, I said, don't you get bored doing this? And he just he took a sip of his coffee and got this crooked smile and said, he goes, Rick, he goes, man, I never get tired of winning. You know? <laughs> well, I was going to say, all of that coincided with 14 straight trips to the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, I mean, but so with the starting rotation, and and Jim Abbott, you know, said it best. He goes, "This is boring, man." I mean, he goes, "The exciting part of the five day cycle is finally getting to a game." Yeah, right. Because all these routines are boring. You know, the workouts is the day after. You know, and you and you, you you adjust these routines, you know, over your career, but they're they're not they're not changed. They're adjusted. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're a chef. You wake up, you walk into the kitchen. All right, I got to get this going. I got all the ingredients out. You know, and you, and and you keep doing the same thing, you know, over and over. And you and you, and you make slight improvements as time goes by, um, but but in general terms, you know, it, it's a it's a mindset. And when you take a look at Kevin, like you said, 29 starts. I mean, 
So basically, in the course of a year, and this is how you would do it for a pitching coach, you, you help a pitcher break this down, and you say, okay, you're going to have 32, 33 starts this year. Kevin might end up with 34, somewhere in that range. And you start looking at this, and, and you're saying to yourself, okay, um, I'm going to make roughly 33, 3,400 pitches this year. And then you start going through these you know, the cycles, and you really start breaking it down, and you start saying, okay, I mean, here's what I need to do to be successful. And because Kev had he's had enough success for a long enough sustained period of time, he should be able to really pull himself away at the end of the season and really look at, okay, what what was I really what were my routines? What was my mindset? What was my thought process? You know, when I got into a jam, you know, how did I shift my mind from from literally in the crunch time situation? and shift this from the threat to an opportunity. It's, okay, I got first and third, I got one out, I got a one-run lead. Okay, I'm in the jam, here's my crunch time. I need a ground ball. I need a ground ball right here. Okay, what pitches can I execute right now to get a, to produce a ground ball? Now, if he gets a ground ball and it's an eight-hopper that goes through the infield, okay, that's a good process. It didn't get the right outcome, but it's a good process. And, and what happens is when you can really get your mind focused on the process, and really improve your process, you know, then, then what it comes down to is that preparation equals performance. And no one's going to outperform your preparation. It's just not going to happen, not, not, not over a long period of time. I, I want to have you back on at some point in time to continue this aspect of the conversation because I want to tell our audience about two months ago, I wrote a column about Kevin Gosman saying that I had seen this movie before and the movie was really the Arthur Rhodes story, and the Orioles should move Kevin Gaussman to the bullpen. And I know you like to be right, Rick, about your uh, assertions and things that you say. I like to be right when I write a column. You kind of politely said, no, nah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, uh, and you explain why. And I want to talk about that at another occasion. Mm-hmm. But we've got about three minutes now. Um, you just did something fascinating. I know your, your goal, and I've heard you talk, is to do some motivational speaking on a, on a really serious level. You just did a, um, a, a test for a TED Talk. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually, I actually did a TEDx in, in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Uh, that's one of the, apparently it's one of the larger uh, TEDx um, associations in the country. So, you know, because of the book and because I'm now doing keynote speaking and corporate workshops, um, I had the opportunity to do this TEDx in Asbury, and it was like it was so much fun. I mean, the group of people, the TED people, they're, they're just, I mean, they're just amazing. And so, so you can look it up on TEDx Asbury, TEDx Asbury. Uh, you can Google it on YouTube, Rick Peterson, TEDx Asbury, and then also RickPetersonCoaching.com. Um, so, did you have a chance to look at it? Dan? I, di- I did look at it, and I I texted you last night. Uh, or emailed you. I can't remember sometimes when I'm communicating. And I said it was very good, but I know you can do better. And my my point was, is is almost like you know. In other words, you, that was the first time you've done a TEDx talk. Uh, you've mm-hmm. done other yep. motivational speaking. How how is the mental aspect of what you're doing when you're up there at trying to be your best? How, the the mental aspect of it is the same as pitching performance, isn't it? It is, and, and it's really an opportunity. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, I, I realize that, you know, I've been very privileged in my life, you know, to be 
when I, when I look at the, you know, as a young coach, I'm, I'm, you know, I got to know Michael Jordan really well and, and to see like what, what makes him so special, you know, and coaching Hall of Fame pitchers like Pedro Martinez and Tom Glavin and, and, you know, Trevor Hoffman and, you know, having Hall of Famers and our Cy Young Award winners and All-Stars and, and, and to really communicate when I do keynotes, really communicate, like, listen, the, all these people, they all go through the same thing that everybody else does in their daily life. They all deal with fear, worry, and doubt. They, they all have that moment where they, you know, where, you know, that fight, flight, or freeze, and where they have to perform at their best. You know, we all deal with our daily pressures, whether it's career, financial, um, you know, family pressures, and, and it's the ability to deal with it. And, and I realized early in my life that, the mental game was the difference maker. The people that can handle the mental game of life are the people that are going to be most successful, regardless of what skill set. I mean, I, I have friends that are doctors, and you know, I've had conversations where they're like, "Man, you know, I go into this surgery, and like, man, I'm I'm nervous, you know." <laughs> it's like you know, one. I mean, everybody deals with it, you know, and and nobody's immune to it. And the key, the, the people that are most successful, they deal with it best. They deal. They have a strategy to deal with it. And and they do you know they do a great job at it and I think that's why everybody loves sports. Yep. I mean, without question. I mean, when you take a look at you know shifting from a threat to an opportunity, you know, probably one of the most famous moments of that was last year's Super Bowl. I mean, the the, the Patriots are down twenty eight to three at halftime, and Tom Brady gets his team together when they walk into the locker room at halftime and said, "Hey guys." We have the opportunity to have the greatest Super Bowl comeback in the history of the game. He looked at it as an opportunity, and he got his team together, and he shifted that whole mentality that, hey, guys, we, we, we're going to have the greatest – we could have the greatest win in Super Bowl come, or comeback wins in Super Bowl history. And that, that's what makes Tom Brady so special, you know, without question. Um, you know, so – and then, then you take a look at, you know, Michael Jordan. You know, he had a statement. He said, you know what, I've missed over 9,000 shots. 26 times I took the last shot of the game and missed. I've lost close to 300 games, and because I failed, that's why I was so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Rick, we mm -hmm. always appreciate it. What's next with the Ted thing? Does that get you in the hopper to be considered for a, a total Ted talk? Um. No, because Ted, Ted's are Ted's um, the the regular TED talk is a little bit more challenging. Yep. Um. Yeah. You, you have to be like in the right place at the right time and in the and and in the right space. And I'm not quite there yet. But but um, you know, getting a lot of momentum for some keynote speaking opportunities, which is which is great. And you know, so all the listeners out there, if you check out Crunch Time and TEDx, Mary Rick Peterson and RickPetersonCoaching.com, um, keynote speaker, um, with some really great insightful stories about how you know you can perform your best under pressure and some insights to Moneyball and the leadership lessons from Moneyball, um, which was really, um, I actually just did a, a presentation at the Wharton School of Business for the third consecutive year. They have a class called Wharton Moneyball, and so that was the third year that I've, I've done the leadership lessons from Wharton um, at the Wharton School of Business. And then I also did the same talk at uh, Columbia University for the second time. Well, I've watched um, a lot of TED I've watched a lot of TED Talks. I go there quite often mm -hmm. and you you are in that class and and uh, I'm, I'm proud to call you a friend and uh, awesome. I wish you I wish you great luck with this because I know you can awesome. do it. 
Awesome. Really appreciate it, Stan. Always a pleasure anytime. And don't forget to look up the one TED Talk I told you about, Monica Lewinsky. It will, yeah, blow, right, it will right. blow you away, I'm telling you. Mm. It was a great talk. Awesome. Thank you, Rick awesome. Peterson. You, you got it. Anytime. All right. Take Never care. thought I'd say Monica Lewinsky and Rick Peterson. In the same sentence, but there you have it. I never thought you'd say Monica Lewinsky and blow you away in the same sentence. <laughs> that is, that is, uh, bada bing, bada boom. Let's go to break. <laughs> We're going to take a timeout. When we get back, Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com will join us. That's next on the Battle Round. <laughs> The B-17 airplane was a legend of World War II, and a B-17 is coming to Martin State Airport on Saturday, September 2nd, and Sunday, September 3rd, for you to see up close, and for a tax-deductible donation to the Liberty Foundation, you can even take a 30-minute ride on. Experience the sights and sounds that our second World War heroes experienced aboard the Flying Fortress on the weekend of September 2nd and 3rd at Martin State Airport, 701 Wilson Point Road in Middle River. Ground tours are available. For more or visit libertyfoundation.org and find out how you can take a ride on the mythical B-17. The Parexcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto, and I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I- I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. Yes. We-, we talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. 
And welcome back to the Bat Around. I'm Craig Heist along with Stan the Fan Charles. And we were making mention earlier in the show that the two Masson teams last night yeah. were both involved in one nothing games. The Orioles win theirs one nothing in 13 innings on Jonathan Scope's RBI double-scoring Manny Machado. And out in Milwaukee, tough luck loss for the Nationals. They lose one nothing to the Brewers. Uh, the good news, though, Tanner Roar continues his second-half resurgence and uh, is pitching very, very well, and that's a good sign as this team heads in now what is the month of September as they head toward the postseason. And to talk about the Nationals and uh, how they're doing on the road right now so far is Mark Zuckerman of Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com. Mark, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, guys. Beautiful day here in Milwaukee. Well, you know, we're getting rain here in Baltimore, so we'll have to wait and see whether or not the Blue Jays and Orioles will play. Uh, let me ask you about last night's game. Uh, Neil Walker hits a first-inning home run off Rourke on a hanging breaking pitch, and then after that he was uh, pretty good, strikes, strikes out 10. Uh, but the Nationals collectively uh, had a little bit of a strikeout problem of their own, I think, offensively, right? Uh, yeah, 17 <laughs> strikeouts yeah, in the game. That's really? their season high. Wow. Uh, and and not just that they were striking out, but the when they were striking out early in the game, they had a bunch of opportunities. Uh, they had a men in scoring position each of the first three innings, and they kept striking out. I think they were 0 for six with five strikeouts with runners in scoring position to start the game. Uh, that's obviously not going to get the job done. But uh, Jimmy Nelson, that, this guy doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Um, he was really on point last night. He's got 192 strikeouts this year. Sort of an underrated. Uh, ace, I guess you can call him, at least of the Brewers staff, and mm-hmm. the Nationals just could not pick up anything that he was throwing. Uh, his breaking ball had them completely fooled. He was able to come up and in with fastball and keep him off the plate. Uh, he was brilliant for seven innings, and then these two relievers they brought in, uh, you guys may know Josh Hader because he's from Maryland and yeah. won yeah. the uh, Orioles, Orioles connection. Yeah, traded for Ooh, Bud Norris. Yeah. He came in and threw gas, uh, struck out the side, in the eighth, and then their closer, Corey Knievel, uh, walked about over struck out the side in the ninth. And I mean, they just could not put the ball in play. And that's frustrating because they wasted a great start from Roark. Daniel Murphy, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form uh, going to sit there and say I'm concerned about Daniel Murphy. But uh, last night, he was one of several, obviously, that had strikeout issues. But what are you seeing with Murphy right now? In, in, in ter- is he just a little bit tired or what? Yeah, it's a good question because he had some swings last night that you just don't normally see from Daniel Murphy. Um, he swung at a strike three that was up and out of the zone. That's not something he does. Um, and we've seen this in a handful of games, I'd say, over the last few weeks. And The last time that it happened, Dusty Baker actually gave him a day off because he said it looked like maybe his bat was slowing down, and then he came back the next night after the day off, and I think that three hits or something like that. So. He was perfectly fine. So you wonder, could another one of those be in order? Um, I will say that as we were waiting outside the uh, the clubhouse after the game to go in to interview the guys, uh, you saw Daniel Murphy come walking out and heading towards the batting cage, which is actually out the, on the other side of the concourse here at Miller Park. So clearly he wanted to work on something. He knew something wasn't right, um, you know, whether that's going to help him more work or whether he's just in need of, of a little time off, I'm not sure. But uh, he did not look like himself. He's been just a little bit of a of a rut here. But, I mean, really, he's not the only one. Zimmerman has not been the same. 
here lately. Rendon really has not been the same lately. Uh, and, uh, you know, with Harper out, those are your four key guys in the middle of your lineup. And not to say they can't win without all of them uh, at 100%, but you need at least one of them to be in top form, I would think. And um, at the moment, I, I don't expect it to last, but at the moment, kind of none of them have really found their groove. You're catching a, a Milwaukee team right now that I think may have realized that with the way the Cubs are playing right now, their best shot to make the postseason is to beat Colorado. They've moved to within two games of that second wild card spot, something we haven't talked much about nationally wild card because Arizona and Colorado have had it wrapped up for so long. But Milwaukee and uh, their manager, Craig Council, they are playing this out to the max, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And and that was something that Jason Worth pointed out last night, that, uh, and we've seen in both these games so far. Not to say these aren't important games for the Nationals, but uh, you know they know they've pretty much got it wrapped up. At this point, it's about staying healthy, winning a few more games, and just kind of getting into into form for the postseason. While the Brewers now are every game is fighting for their lives. Yep. And you could sort of see that they've come out the last two nights and uh, maybe had a little extra motivation. And um, they were into it last night. The crowd was really into it. You're right. I think we've focused so much on is there any way they could catch the Cubs. And we sort of lost sight of the fact that the Rockies have really cooled off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you're right. The, the Brewers are in the mix for that. Even the Cardinals, crazy as it might be, could be in the mix for the, the uh, last wild card. And um, I know there's some people suggesting that maybe the Nats would be better off tanking this series because they're going to be playing the central champions and they'd probably much rather play the Brewers and the Cubs. Um, I can assure you they're not trying to do that. <laughs> and also, based on what I've seen from the Brewers here in the last two nights, I'm not sure the Nats would want to face these guys, right. given the lineup they have and given the pitching that all of a sudden they have. And I keep looking at the standings. It's amazing, though, because it's intrigued me all year, just the fact that there are eight, as of last night, there were still eight teams in the American League, eight teams in the National League that are under 500. And it, it boggles my mind, it really does, that we've had that kind of uh, you know, whether you want to call it mediocrity or parity or whatever word you want to use all year long. It, it has been really strange. Uh, you know, you also have the opposite end of the spectrum of the Dodgers on a record pace, the Nationals and the Astros are approaching a 100-win pace, so that kind of balances it out. But, um, no, I mean, honestly, this is one reason why I was never a huge fan of the second wild card, because I felt like you're just going to be rewarding mediocrity. That, yes, some years you're going to have a, a really deserving team, but then there are going to be years where you've got teams hovering around 500. Now, you know, and, and look in the American League, especially teams that are under 500, but are still in the race. And is that better for baseball? I'm not sure because yeah. it's led to all this confusion. And you had all these teams, the Orioles included, at the trade deadline that didn't really know: Are we in it? Are we not in it? Should we go for it? Should we sell? Yeah, and as we've yeah. seen, particularly in the American League, it changes every week. Uh, who's in it and who's not. Yeah, you had the Minnesota Twins actually make moves to to buy and then re, reconfigured to sell, and then all of a sudden we're back in it again. So yeah, it, exactly. it's, it's been wild. Can you tell us anything on the, the latest on the condition of one Bryce Harper? Well, what I can tell you is that he really hasn't been able to do much of anything yet, and that's not a particularly good sign. Um, they, I think we're hoping, I think he was hoping, that at this point, and we're now, it was actually three weeks ago today, mm-hmm. that he suffered the injury. They were hoping, not even that he'd be back in the lineup, but that he'd be progressing and starting to run and 
uh, get himself in, in the shape, and he has not been able to do that. And he admitted the other day that in addition to the knee, he also strained his calf muscle on that play. That's the first mm. time we had heard that. And in talking to him, I almost got the sense that he was uh, saying that that is more of the hindrance right now than the knee. And so that's a bit of a concern. Um, it's, you know, there is still, still some time left. There's a month to go, but I think this has been the concern all along that even if he comes back, um, is he going to have enough time to first get healthy, but then to get back into mid-season form by getting at bats? You know, it's hard to just step right in and feel like you haven't missed the beat. And so in their perfect world, they would have him playing for at least a couple of weeks before the playoffs, and at this point, that's going to be really tough to do. So uh, we'll see. I do go back to the day after the injury when Mike Rizzo, he never said it's a guarantee that he's coming back. He said yep. we are hopeful yep. that he is going to be back this season. Uh, and I think at this point that's still where they are. They are hopeful, but they don't know for sure, for certain that Bryce Harper will be back. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. He covers the Nationals like nobody's business. Craig? Well, we, we heard that. From, from Bryce earlier this week, but the other part of it is, too, he says the bone bruise and the calf muscle is the issue, but w- with knowing Bryce the way we do and having covered him for the amount of time that we have, how much of this, and, and Bryce did say, I'm not going to do anything, to you know, I'm going to do what's best for me, best for the team, but at what point do you think Bryce is going to say, well, I'm going to have to try to do something here Let's give it a shot. Very similar to when the injury occurred and he told the people helping him off the field, let me get up these steps. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and that is his personality, of course. He's going to want to give it a shot somewhere along the way. Um, But he's got to be careful. He's also admitted a few times that he has tried to play through injuries before. I think we saw it last year with his shoulder, a few years ago with his knee, and he knows the results have not been good and uh, that could lead to further problems down the road. And not to get too dire with this, but let's think long-term here. Uh, next year is his contract year. Yep. And if, in, uh, if you're at all worried that trying to come back too soon this year from this uh, may cause a bigger problem that doesn't allow you to play next year the way that you need to play, Scott Boris or somebody else is going to be in his ear, uh, at least making that point. And it's something he's going to have to consider. And I know nobody wants to hear that because they want to believe that he's just trying to win right now for this team, and, and he is. I genuinely believe that. But he also has to think about himself, and that's going to be uh, something he's going to have to confront here in the next few weeks as they decide how hard to push this. Speaking of Scott Boris, uh, he was pretty vocal. I mean, I don't think this is an issue that people had as a front-burner issue as to what to do about wet bases, but Bryce Harper's injury and everybody watching that video, I think it became front-burner. Are you hearing much talk, or or you, or you think it's like, hey, we are going dis- to discuss this, we're not dismissing it, it's just not the right time right now? Yeah, I think more so the latter. That could be the kind of thing in the off season that uh, baseball starts to look at. And it's funny, I, I agree. I had not considered that in the past, but it, it makes a good point. Um, there's not really any reason for it to be like that. Uh, I think they're going to be more careful, or try to be careful about playing under wet conditions. And we yep. even saw the other night when the Nationals uh, had a slight rain delay and we're playing on a wet night, they actually swapped out the bases every two innings. Yeah, yeah, remember that. To put a new one in. 
and um, you know that's what they're going to do to take care of it. And you, I mean, think about it in football; they've always got uh, one of the the refs always has a towel to dry off the ball sure. before it's snapped. Maybe there's something like that that needs to be done. Um, so I, I think it's something they'll probably look at in the off season. But again, I don't think it's front burner issue because it's just not something that happens a lot. And and I'm not blaming Bryce for this, but he yeah. did he hit the base not the way you normally do. You usually hit the front of the base. And he landed right on top of it, which is not necessarily the way they teach it to it. They uh, wind up getting uh, Ryan Matson back today, if I'm reading this correctly, along with any Romero. But Matson, I think, is is very crucial because of the three that they obtained in that deal, uh, uh, or the deals, I should say. Uh, Matson's been the one that's been, you know, almost untouchable in terms of uh, production from other teams, but. To have him back uh, really kind of solidifies even more the back end of that bullpen. Yeah, and, and in addition to having been the most effective of the three, and, and they've yeah. all been effective, but he's been you know easily the best, he's also the only one with any kind of considerable postseason experience, uh, having won two World Series with the Phillies and then the Royals. So that's going to come in huge, I think, in October. Uh, so that, that was uh, good news for them to get him back yesterday now. He's off the DL. I'm not 100% convinced that he is ready to pitch quite yet. Um, he may still need to throw in the bullpen and show that everything is fine before they put him in a game. Uh, it, it was a minor injury, a, a sprained finger. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's anything they're concerned about long term, uh, but they may be a little cautious and just give him a couple days to work on some things before he comes back. But, you know, it's September, so the rosters are expanded. There's no real harm in bringing the guy off the DL, even if he's not ready to pitch uh, just yet. But Madsen's going to be big for them. Kinsler and Doolittle obviously are. Um, and on top of that, I'm going to throw in Ollie Perez and Matt Albers, who've mm-hmm. been there from day one this year and have been really, really good for them. And all of a sudden, that bullpen that we talked about as being such a problem for this team, there's five guys right there who've all performed really well, at least since they've been with the Nationals. Uh, they have solved that problem, and that's going to... Uh, alleviate a lot of fears come October. One of the things we saw with Matson uh, while he was on the DL was the fact that Dusty Baker decided to use Kinsler as a closer one time. Uh, so he's not afraid to to be able to use either one of these guys in either of the roles uh, on a particular day, depending on matchups. No, and, and it's something he wanted to try to do, and I think he's going to try to do again. Because remember, Kinsler saved 28 games for the Twins this year, so he's done it before. Uh, and Doolittle, as good as he's been, doesn't have a ton of experience, and he's also had uh, shoulder issues in the past, and so I think Dusty's going to be very careful about trying not to use him too much back-to-back days, certainly three days in a row, three out of four days. And think about the playoffs when you get to that point. Um there are off days built in, but there are some times that you may need a guy three days in a row or three out of four or four out of five. And if he's not convinced that Doolittle is up for that, you want to make sure you have somebody else who can handle those situations. And so that's why I think he wants to try it a little bit more with Kinsler. It didn't work out that night in Houston. You know. um, but uh, in, I think this is more about the bigger picture of getting guys comfortable with that idea and seeing how they handle it uh, in a less pressurized situation right now. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman of MadisonSports.com. Uh, I know that Jason Worth has come back and started playing because I saw him last night. Is Trey Turner back? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I hadn't seen a box yeah. score. 
How many games has he played, and how's he looked? Uh, he's been back, when he come back on Tuesday, I think it was. Um, a couple of games was a little sluggish, and then uh, the other night, first game here in Milwaukee, was a classic Trey Turner kind of game. Oh, yeah. Single, right. double, triple, stolen base, RBI, two runs scored. Um, he, he is something, and, and you're seeing what a difference that that can make. Uh, not that they didn't get by, not that, that Wilmer Defoe didn't do a tremendous job in place of him, but what Turner is able to do that really nobody else on the team and only a handful of guys in the league are able to do is he can produce a run entirely by himself. Right. Um, he gets on base, he'll steal second, he, he stole third the other night, or he'll advance on a wild pitch, he turns uh, doubles into triples, singles into doubles. He can get himself into scoring position without anybody else needing to get him there. Uh, and when it comes time to manufacture runs in the playoffs, you need guys like that who can do that. It makes a huge difference. So I think they're real pleased with what they've seen so far. And in both cases of Turner and Worth, you know, we're talking about Harper and how much time is he going to need to to get back into uh, uh, you know midseason form. The good news is that Turner and Worth are both going to have a full month uh, yeah. of games to get themselves ready. And so I don't think there's going to be any concern about what kind of shape they're in come October. And Dusty will still be very cautious with Jason Worth going forward uh, toward October, which makes Wilmer Defoe even more valuable because he has spelled uh, Daniel Murphy at second base in the last week. He has played right field uh, when Jason Worth has not been out there. So, again, his ability and what he's done offensively, uh, one of the reasons that Dusty can use him in a, a number of different roles. Yeah, Defoe has been huge for them, and they're not about to abandon him. He even played third base uh, yeah. last night with Rendon out, and uh, Howie Kendrick is going to be big for them, being able to play the outfield and the infield. And um, Look, I, I think they are right now, uh, we were talking about Harper before, I think they're kind of making their plans just in case. Just, yeah. You're seeing Worth in right field, you're seeing Defoe in the outfield, Kendrick in the outfield. They want to make sure that they are covered just in case Harper isn't back. If he is back, they're going to have an amazing bench at their disposal for the postseason. If he doesn't come back, obviously they're going to miss him. They're not the same team without him, but they're going to have uh, some options there and some quality guys who can step in and, and try to fill that void. And I think, def I mean, offensively, this lineup, even without Bryce, it's not the same. You're right. But they, there's a lot of guys on this team that have produced and, and, and driven in runs and hit for high average. So from that standpoint, you know, when you get down to a, a part of the year where you know that runs are going to be at a premium, you're just hoping that, you know, there are a few guys in this lineup that can continue doing what they're doing. Yeah, and, you know, it's going to be what kind of quality of bats can they give. Right. Uh, that's where Murphy comes in. That's where, honestly, Adam Eaton's loss is so big because I remember thinking at the time that he was – perfect for them in the postseason, a guy who can grind out at bats. But we know Worth can do that. We know Rendon can do that. You hope that Zimmerman, who's been um, you know, not as good in the second half as he was in the first half, you hope that he can get hot. You know, Even Matt Wieters, who has not had overall what I'd call a, a great season, uh, he's still producing in the biggest spots. His, most of his hits have come with runners in scoring position. Uh, and just to have that threat and Michael Taylor behind him, um, it's a really deep lineup when they're healthy, and that allows them to string together rallies, uh, make a pitcher work, and uh, I think ultimately, if they are successful in October, it's not going to be because 
one guy carries them. It's going to be the entire lineup top to bottom producing. Mark, we really appreciate you coming on. I just got a quickie. Overall, do you think the club is happy that they signed Matt Wieters when they did? You know, uh, yeah, I do think so. I think they're happy with the way he's worked with the pitching staff. Uh, he's been a, a huge influence on Gio Gonzalez and his resurrection this year. They've paired up almost every time mm-hmm. Gio has started. So I think they like that. They like the, his ability to come through in clutch situations, like I said. Um, has he been everything they hoped he could be? Probably not. But I think they kind of knew that going in. And then, you, you hate to, to point this out, but in, in hindsight, they um, they caught a break because uh, Derek Norris, who was supposed to be their catcher uh, and was going to be the guy until they signed Weeders and wound up going to Tampa Bay and wound up having a domestic abuse allegation against him and was just, uh, by Major League Baseball yesterday, yeah. suspended for the rest of the season wow. and forfeiting his pay for it. Now, he had already been released by the Rays, and he hadn't played well either. Uh, and who knows how that all would have played out if, if he had been their catcher. But, um, you know, they could have been in a real difficult situation if they hadn't gotten Weeders, as it turns out. Now, it'll be interesting now, do they uh, try to bring him back? Does he pick up his own option for next year? Does he try to be a free agent again? Do they feel like they can upgrade there? Um, but, I, I, you know, he hasn't been perfect, but I think yep. in the long run, I think they are uh, pleased with what he's done for them, and it helps that the lineup is so good that they haven't needed to rely on him too much. And from Tampa's standpoint, I'm sure they're happy now that they've gotten Wilson Ramos. <laughs> yeah. All right. Mark uh, Zuckerman, really appreciate your being on with us, as always. Okay, thanks, guys. Keep up the good work, MassInSports.com. We will take our final, yes, sir. I was going to say, and Max Scherzer goes tonight uh, trying to snap a little bit of a two-game slide there. So mm-hmm. they've lost both games to start the series in uh, Milwaukee. And the Brewers, as we mentioned, two games behind Colorado for the second wild card spot. The Cubs have won five in a row and are now four games on top of Milwaukee. Not a great situation there for the Brewers trying to catch them. We'll be back with a final word or two and maybe a prediction on Maryland-Texas, a college football game that kicks off in about five minutes. We'll be right back with the the close of the batter round. Members of the GCR community, they're telling me about their experiences at Full Circle Tire and Auto. Steve Barry, why did you take your vehicle to Full Circle? I saw a uh, service plate on the dashboard, and I called the dealership, and they told me it was going to be about $200 to do it, and I heard the commercial for Full Circle Tire and Auto. And I called them, and they told me that they could save me even more money than I thought. They were about $100 less, and it turns out that they didn't have the correct fluid for the car, so they actually went to the dealership and got it, and didn't charge me any extra for it. And that's not all they did for you, was it? About a week and a half later, they sent a personalized thank you card from Amy and the team. They signed it, and it's actually really nice, something I've never experienced before. That's the difference at Full Circle Tire and Auto, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, and FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yard. Yeah, we've, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press that. box. 
Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Looking for a challenge? Push yourself further. It begins when you enlist as a soldier in the U.S. Army. You'll be trained in one of more than 150 career fields and could even earn money for college if you qualify. To find out more, visit your local Army recruiter or log on to GoArmy.com. There's Strong and then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. Money for college. More than 150 career paths. Up to $40,000 signing bonus. Visit GoArmy.com slash 40K bonus. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Job and Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we take a significant look into the Ravens' upcoming first-ever trip to London. What does it take for an NFL team to make such a trip? How are Ravens fans getting themselves across the pond for the game? What are fans doing in Baltimore if they can't make the trip? And which Ravens player will the trip mean the most to? PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles Ravens and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We're back on the battle round. Glenn Clark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Monday through Friday. Yeah. Ten, 10 to 12. Ten, 10 to twelve. Ken on Sundays. Ten to twelve. But Glenn Clark. Yeah. An, an enjoyable experience. Is that what that spot said? That's exactly what it said. All says. right. <laughs> I got. I got to come in here and be with Glenn because Glenn was so ha- happy to come in, uh, take some time out of his day when you were on vacation or you had whatever you were doing down in North Carolina. He came in, sat in for it about. It was an called hour. a vacation. All right. What do you mean, whatever you were doing down? Well, yeah, you made it sound like I was imprisoned or something like that. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, with me, you never do know. All right, good show today. Um, we thank uh, Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. We thank Adam Pohl, the Bowie Bay Sox. We wish them well in their playoff push. Again, you can check on um, playoff tickets. By going to BaySoxShop.com, where you can buy a strip of playoff tickets. Not strip, you know, not a strip club. A strip of playoff tickets for $66. Really? Really? For $66. Really? <laughs> 
Well, I'm you trying to, to think. There? I'm trying to think. We, like, we already had sure. Craig's time I'm trying to think like you think. <laughs> you know. Oh, listen, what I was I meant, thinking. I meant that the Monica Lewinsky talk, TED Talk it had would n- blow Rick Peterson away. That's right. And you go, I can't believe you used Rick Peterson and uh, Monica Lewinsky. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Baysockshop.com. You can buy the strip of six Stan, playoff Stan's tickets. over here with a shovel. Just. Continually digging. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to dig you out of the hole you're in. Right. He's, no, not me. Uh, you're digging Shox. yourself into a hole. Can I finish, guys? <laughs> Baysocks. Baysocks. Baysockshop.com. You can buy a strip of six tickets for $66. Right. So if it was like you and your wife, it would be like $132 okay. for two, two tickets. And how much is it for just single? They're not selling those yet. They're probably $10 or $11 a ticket. Okay. Uh, you can't buy singles yet. Or you can call up 301-464-4865. And uh, that was Adam Pohl. We thank him. We thank Rick Peterson. Of course, at TED Talk, TEDx, uh, TEDx Asbury Park. It's a, sort of an audition for a TED Talk or a secondary TED Talk. Um, and then, of course, Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. Rick Peterson was great today, though. A lot of good stuff with Rick. Absolutely, and uh, nobody knows uh, the motivational end of pitching and the mindset that you have to have to be successful at it than Rick Peterson. No question about it. Bonza, thank you for keeping a straight face for as much as possible do you today. Have, do you have an, um, uh, an umbrella? No. Okay. It's, no. it's literally pouring out. It, it oh, really it is? is, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Because I was going to say, if he had one, he wouldn't have one when he was walking out. Of you, <laughs> I've got an extra one in my car. Uh, you and I are, I mean, uh, Bonza and I are going to see the Morgan uh, Towson, Towson game, game tonight yeah. at 6.05. Uh, Maryland at Texas. Will they get their heads handed to them, or will they keep it? Somewhat close. Well, I this think is Tom Herman's first game. I was going to say, I think Tom Herman wants to make a uh, a very good impression in game number one. Uh, it's a 19 point spread. You, know, you only get one chance to make a first, first impression. impression. Right. I, it's a 19 point spread. I'm thinking that Maryland goes down there and plays very hard. Maybe even covers, but Texas wins this game easily at home. Yeah, I figure they win, but I think Maryland may keep it a little closer than people think. Well, right, we'll see. I mean, if let's Piggy, see. If Let, Piggy doesn't make mistakes at quarterback and just doesn't turn the ball over, I think it's something like twenty-four to to nine or something. Very quickly, I walked in the Orioles clubhouse the other night. Uh, Indiana's playing Ohio State. It's twenty-one twenty in favor of uh, the Hoosiers. Just into the third quarter, I looked at Schmuck and I said, "Hey, look at this." He goes. Not a problem. He says they'll win this game by 25 points. And what'd they win by? <laughs> 28. 28. <laughs> All right. That's, that's it for today's uh, version or edition of the Battle Round. Tomorrow, same time, 10 to 12. You can see Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard right here by going to pressboxonline.com slash radio or facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Have a great weekend ahead.